Hey everyone, this is Achuta Bhava from Nightlight Astrology, and today we are going to talk about three of the misconceptions that people have about the sign of Gemini. So this is a part of a series that I've been doing about the misconceptions of the zodiac signs. I think it's a fun series because, I mean, all year round I get comments on social media or I'm forced to look at memes on social media that, um, you know, really sort of um, cheapen or simplify the meaning of the signs. Sometimes it's all in good fun. It's just about, you know, stereotypes and jokes about signs and like, I can get down with that. But a lot of the times it's like, you know, there's a lot of sort of bad information out there about the signs that um, don't make astrologers look intelligent or doesn't help astrology to be understood for the deep kind of archetypal um, science that it is. So um, I thought it'd be fun to at least talk about um, all of the signs, some of the misconceptions, the major misconceptions that we have about those signs, uh, about the signs and why those misconceptions exist and maybe some simple ways of sort of um, reorienting ourselves in relation to each sign. So today we're going to talk about Gemini and I have three misconceptions that we're actually going to address all as one because they're all kind of the same. You hear people say these things about Gemini um, all the time. Uh, and most of, by the way, most of these misconceptions have to do with sort of the psychological characteristics or the psychological dimension of the signs. Um, in the ancient world, it wasn't like signs were used to talk about a person's psychology, not nearly as much as they are today. So that's another thing almost worth talking about um, maybe in a separate video is just how were signs looked at and used in ancient um, astrology compared to modern astrology. So this, this series is sort of more applicable for a modern psychological approach to astrology, you could say. But um, at any rate, the three misconceptions about Gemini that you'll often hear, especially around the psychology of the sign. And to, to be fair, it's not that these, um, these psychological stereotypes or misconceptions um, aren't in some ways valid. And it's not that they also haven't been around for a really long time. People have been saying these things about Gemini and the twins and uh, even Mercury, the ruler of Gemini for a long time. And there is something to these misconceptions. We have to understand why they exist and maybe a better way of holding them um, as students or you know, fans of astrology. People who take in astrological content regularly should know these things in my humble opinion. So the three misconceptions, one, Geminis are two-faced. That's a kind of like almost like an insult, right? But I, I can't even count the number of times I've heard people say, oh, you know, Geminis are two-faced. It's an unfortunate characterization and not entirely true. And there's some something to that, but what's, what's uh, you know, let's get separate static from signal is one of my teachers like to say. Um, number two, Geminis can't ever make up their minds about anything. Okay. So again, kind of a generalization that you'll hear. And then um, finally, Geminis don't take things seriously enough or are not reliable or trustworthy. So you've got two-faced, can't make up their minds, can't make decisions, or maybe even that they're ambivalent or something like that. Uh, Geminis don't think take things seriously, or they're not reliable or sort of can't be trusted. All of these very negative, um, you know, sort of stereotypes, um, you know, they can be addressed through one very simple observation about this sign that we're going to look at today and, uh, and then elaborate upon. So in order to do that, what I would like to do 
is I would like to show you my astronomy program, which is called Starry Night. Um, so I'm going to see if I can share it with you. We're going to put it up on the screen. Okay, here we go. So what I have up on the screen is roughly a picture of Gemini season. Now you're not going to see the constellation of Gemini in the sky on this um, screen because um, this is not a tropical picture of the zodiac, but an astronomical one. So the constellations, of course, relative to the equinoxes have shifted. So that's a sort of more of a sidereal look right now, but it'll serve our purpose today, simple enough, which is just to show you what Gemini season actually looks like astronomically um, from the standpoint of the Northern hemisphere where astrology comes from. So what I want to show you is kind of like imagine that this line that I'm drawing up here is the summer solstice. That's not going to be exact or anything, but just imagine that that's the summer solstice. What I want to show you is here's the sun roughly at midday at the beginning of Gemini season. And this was called a double-bodied sign. It was an air sign, spring sign, uh, temple of masculine temple of Mercury or diurnal temple of Mercury, sort of daytime masculine. So here is, <clears throat> excuse me, if we advance one day at a time through Gemini season, I want you to watch what the sun does, how it rises up. We're just going to go step by step. This is one day at a time. You can see that the sun is climbing a little higher in the sky every day. And then it's moving upward toward the pole star. So the pole star is like going to be the, you know, kind of what the ancients imagined that the sun was climbing up toward, which is this ideal, this uh, kind of a, a, an emblem of divinity or eternity or God. And um, it is moving up toward that ideal as, as the arc of the sun rises. And I'm just putting that line up there as kind of an imaginary uh, image of the pole star, right? Then it gets to the very top and you'll notice that it starts flattening out. It's not so much lifting anymore. And what's starting to happen is right after it turns the corner on the summer solstice, it's going to start going down. See how the arc of the sun and the sun every day at around the same time of day starts coming down in the sky through cancer season. Okay, so that's a picture astronomically of what's happening. Now, Gemini was called a double-bodied sign, which means that it shares in the nature of the sign before it, which is Taurus, and the sign after it, which is Cancer. What that means is that essentially that Gemini is going to share in the quality of light associated with both signs. What's the quality of light? We have to ask ourselves in Taurus. Well, in Taurus, it's a steady climb upward. The light has taken over in the spring and we're steadily climbing upward toward that pole star. Days are growing longer. When we reach cancer, on the other hand, what's happening? When we reach cancer, the sun is starting to come down in the sky. So one day at a time, the light is um, starting to diminish. The days are growing shorter from cancer onward. So Gemini is going to be a sign that embodies the pivot between the gaining of light and the descent of light, reaching that ideal pole star moment and then turning around and coming back down. So double-bodied signs like Virgo, like Sagittarius and Pisces are all Mercury and Jupiter ruled signs. And those signs that 
Mercury rules are the ones that make turns toward darkness uh, from the light of uh, the summer solstice coming down again, returning from light gaining to light losing. And then when we get to Virgo, we're turning from the light half of the year itself into the dark half of the year when we cross the fall equinox from Virgo to Libra. So the Mercury ruled signs have to do with deconstruction, deconstruction of what? The light, which means they're the, the Mercury ruled signs of Gemini and Virgo embody these pivotal turning points where something that was light is either starting to become dark or is handing over entirely to the darkness in the case of Virgo. So these signs have something inherently to do with the chaos, the metaphysical chaos uh, of deconstruction, that this is a part of life, that, that life goes through cycles of um, of um, creation and destruction. I want to read you guys something. <clears throat> this comes from the Bhagavad Gita. And uh, let's see if I can. Yes. So this is from the ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. And this is the... Um, this is Krishna talking about uh, the nature of creation. And he's talking about the cycles of creation, which is one of my, it's actually one of my favorite parts of the Gita. And he says, uh, here it is, I'm just getting to it. Do, 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 do. Here we go. He says, this material nature, which is one of my energies, just one of them, is working under my direction, O son of Kunti, producing all moving and non-moving beings. Under its rule, this manifestation is created and annihilated again and again. He then goes on to say, but it is I who am the ritual the sacrifice, the offering to the ancestors, the healing herb, the transcendental chant. I am the butter and the fire and the offering. I am the father of this universe, the mother, the supporter, and the grandsire. I'm the object of knowledge, the purifier, and the syllable om. And he goes on to say that he's all of the Vedas. He then says, I'm the gold, the sustainer, the master, the witness, the abode, the refuge, and the most dear friend. Now listen to this part. I am the creation and the annihilation the basis of everything, the resting place, and the eternal seed. O Arjuna, I give heat and I withhold and send forth the rain. I am immortality and I am also death personified. Both spirit and matter are in me. Amazing, right? So this he, he goes on to say a, a number of other pretty amazing things in this chapter. This is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Gita. Um, he goes on at the end, he, he talks about people that try to approach him in all these really highly ritualistic ways. And he says, actually, if one gives me with love and devotion, a leaf, a flower, a fruit or water, I will accept it. Um, at any rate, the reason that I read this is because there's a similar sort of simplicity and duality contained within the sign of Gemini. And it's related to that same um, pivoting of light into darkness that's happening around the summer solstice that we just outlined. And this can help us make sense out of some of those misconceptions. So 
first of all, you have to remember that um, these stereotypes, two-faced, can't make up their mind, don't take things seriously enough or aren't reliable or trustworthy or something like that. Um, sometimes people say, oh, they're flaky. You don't, don't expect a Gemini to follow through on plans or, you know, these kinds of things. Um, now, some of these could be true. Like there could be, you know, and stereotypes about any sign or, to, you know, to a certain extent, there'll be some truth to it. But one of the things to remember is that one is that Gemini is inherently playing with um, the sort of duality of light and dark. So when when we reach that uh, critical moment of the summer solstice and then the light turns again, imagine it as the ideal. The ideal is is reflected by the image of the pole star. And the ascent toward the pole star is like the ascent toward God or the light or an ideal image that we chase, whether it's a job or, um, you know, a particular kind of relationship or a particular kind of body or wealth or possessions or whatever, knowledge. Once you have or obtain that, though, what happens? Well, it immediately starts to fall apart. Nothing in this world that we have, you know, our own bodies, our minds, nothing is going to last forever. The facility of our of my mind and my speech will eventually be gone. Um, you know, the uh, the relationships that I have will be gone. Everyone who's living right now um, is not getting out of here alive. You know, <laughs> like that's the and and no one, you know, there are so many more souls and stories on this earth that are forgotten and will never be remembered by other human beings than there are those who have been remembered. That's because time just keeps moving along. And this can be um, something that is, um, it makes us cynical. And when we're cynical about things, when we say like, oh, nothing lasts, nothing's real, no, you know, nothing is substantive, then there's a, you know, there's a bitterness that can creep in and almost like a jaundice of the soul that makes us look at everything like that. Ah, it's all BS. It's not really worth anything. And from that, we may even take on the feeling that I can manipulate, deceive, trick, um, take advantage of things for my own ends. And certainly there is that dimension of Gemini, which is why in ancient mythology, you'll have, you know, a, a pair of twins uh, Castor and Pollux. There's many other examples, Cain and Abel in the, in the biblical sense. Um, there's lots of different twins in mythology and, you know, fairy tales and folklore. And, and oftentimes there's going to be a good twin and a bad twin. There's a light and there's a dark, but it's not just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not so simplistic because really what we're talking about is the inner struggle with light and dark that can cause us to become cynical, that can cause us to become nihilistic, that can cause us to look at things and think there's no substance behind anything. There's nothing that's finally real or eternal. Um, and, you know, it's like, you know, a great line from a, from a Gemini, Tupac, Tupac Shakur said, you know, life is a game and I'm trying, I'm just trying to go around the board as many times as I can before I die. Great quote from Tupac, really, you know, kind of funny, typical, very good, like Gemini quote. Of course, um, <clears throat> some people, um, having read a little bit about Tupac and doing his chart for some of my classes, you know, some people would say that, you know, Tupac, like, didn't take things seriously enough, that he had a kind of, like, youthful, I'll live forever, nothing really matters attitude that kind of um, got him in trouble. 
And other people would say that Tupac was incredibly wise. And uh, he, he didn't take the, the, the things that everyone thinks that you should take seriously, that you really shouldn't take seriously, he was aware of. So there's different things that people have said about him that I've always found really fascinating. Um, not that I'm like the world's biggest Tupac fan. I liked his music, you know, when I was younger and um, I've always found him a very provocative and interesting character. At any rate, um, the Gemini, you could say the, the Gemini, the daimon of the Gemini. This is something Liz Green writes about, by the way, just a reminder that a lot of what I draw on comes from the astrology of fate by Liz Green. Great book. So in the, in the, in the twin dichotomy, the dark twin is going to be the one that says, well, you reach an ideal, you reach the light only to turn around and darkness returns. And if that's just an eternal circle going round and round, then, you know, it's kind of like, get me off the ride or it, it becomes almost like, well, life is just a, a theme park and we're just going round and round. And like, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to hustle and play the game. And so that's where that sort of deceptive trickster dark twin thing can come in. But it's really an attitude that the the Gemini um, uh, is taking, not the you know Gemini Sun, Gemini Rising, uh, Gemini Moon, strong Gemini placements in the chart. I have Mars in Gemini, so I can certainly relate with this. That there's a, there can be this cynicism that creeps in and says, well, nothing really means anything, and then then it becomes a matter of like, well, what's advantageous to me in any moment, and um, with a almost like a disregard for the idea of there being like clear moral imperatives or everlasting eternal virtues or ideals toward which our lives should be aimed like God or spirit or the good or the higher self. Now, on the other hand, um, you know, the, the other thing that's true is that all spiritual paths, really all, I can't think of one spiritual path, you know, really in, in the world that I've learned about, you know, Buddhism, uh, Christianity, all of the ancient mystical schools, the shamanic traditions that I studied in the Amazon and so forth that um, talk about the attitude that we should take up given the presence of this duality of light and dark. For example, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says that the, uh, that, that God is the source of both creation and annihilation of both things that rise up and come to be and things that fall down and pass away. Krishna doesn't say, you know, so it's all meaningless. Krishna says, I'm the syllable om, which is like the, the very, um, almost like a, um, a sonic version of creation, maintenance, and destruction. And that this om is like constantly repeating. It's an image that we get in the Puranas. For example, when uh, the Lord exhales all the universes out of his body and then brings them back in over and over and over again. Um, so that's not um, something that is looked at uh, in either, you know, places like the Gita or the Purana, at least things that are part of the Bhakti tradition that I study and, and other yogic traditions as well. Um, that's not looked at something that that's not looked at as something that's supposed to be the source of our cynicism, the feeling that nothing is real and almost like, um, you know, a, um, uh, an inborn kind of nihilistic tendency to just do what we will deceive, make up our own rules, disregard any kind of authority, um, and, and be sort of non-committal about, you know, any, any kind of lasting ideal. But again, this is inherent in what the sign is dealing with, reaching the light and immediately turning away. 
and falling back away from the light. Um, the instructions of the spiritual traditions with regard to how we, you know, how do you deal with this duality are pretty, ba- are, you know, pretty basic. Recognize that it's in the completeness of creation and destruction. Recognize that it's in the completeness of light and dark that divinity resides. It's in the totality of the relationship between the two. In bhakti, we call this a chinta beta beta tattva, which means um, simultaneous and inconceivable oneness and duality. It's like thinking about a fire. God is like, in our tradition anyway, God is like a fire and um, creation, the infinite universes of creation are like sparks that emanate from the fire. They are, the spark is the same as the fire, but it's also separate from the fire simultaneously. Um, if you could think about it similarly, like there's, there's sunbeams coming into my room right now. So the sun ball is not present in my room, the actual ball of the sun, but its emanation is in the form of like photons or whatever, like light beams are in my room. So the, the sun both is and isn't in my room right now. So similarly, the way that you many ancient schools of philosophy thought about God was as simultaneously one and many. This is why, you know, many people confuse the idea that Hinduism is a polytheistic religion, but it's actually a monopoly. Um, it's, it's like a, it's a monopoly dance, you know, the one is the many and the, the many reflects back the one. So um, from the standpoint of these traditions, which are, you know, it's obviously similar ideas are talked about the one and the many, the yin and the yang, you know, d- sort of differently in different traditions. And some are not going to include the idea of like a personal God or whatever, but the, I, the basic idea being that it is the, the totality of this movement, the, um, the tango, so to speak, the Leela, the play of this, um, of these movements. And we talk about, for example, the epitome of this movement in Krishna Bhakti being about love, that ultimately this movement is about the soul and God dancing as lovers through, you know, stages of um, uh, union and separation, union and separation, that you need some degree of separation across which love can move and speak and, uh, you know, infinitely draw us closer. There always needs to be like a little bit of separation for unity to be like increasing and intensifying. So the almost like tantric um, dimension of, of reality um, is also present in the sign of Gemini. And you'll also find that, you know, the, the, the Gemini lifetime is in a sense moving from, oh, there's no, there's nothing substantive. I, you know, I'm too, I'm, you know, the, what does the two-faced thing come from? Well, you know, it's like uh, this or that, and it doesn't really matter. I'll do what I want at any given time that like, you know, is, you know, is, is helpful for me in the moment, maybe sort of selfish underlying nihilism, uh, can't make up my mind. Well, you can see where that comes from in a sense, that psycho sort of psychological trait. It's because there's an ability to see the, um, to not just see things in terms of dualities, but to see things in terms of a, um, not an either, or, but a sort of a both or an, and, um, so it's, it's not always that Gemini's can't make up their mind. It's that they're, they're going to be more acutely aware of the, inconceivable simultaneous you know inconceivable and simultaneous oneness and duality so to speak that's inherent in all things yes and no 
we're the same and we're different. You know, I always used to hate it in yoga studio world when people would come into the yoga studio and like, almost like, let's, let me, let's eye gaze. Let me test you. Are you a real yoga teacher? Let's meld or something like that. And I would always be like, oh my God, so annoying. Probably used to come from the Midwest, you know, in the Midwest, it's like impolite to like stare at people. So, you know, so it's like, I don't want to meld with you. I'd like to get to know you. We're different beings, you know, let's, let's like cut to the, uh, you know, like you've got to get to know my soul first before we acid mind blend or whatever. So I, I would always like be really frustrated with that. And then in time, I realized also that, you know, there were part, there was parts of me that was, that, that were, that were uncomfortable with a deeper blending or merging of, you know, my mind, my heart, my emotions with others. And so some of that had to change too. Some of that was like my own resistance, but these are things that like these, these dualities in general are things that Gemini's are, are, are much more acutely aware of um, than, than other signs. And that doesn't have to be just if you're a Gemini sun, moon, or rising, a Gemini stellium, a, a Gemini, your midheaven, Gemini rising, and, and so forth. So you have to remember that inherent to Gemini is an exploration of the simultaneous oneness of light and dark. Um, it's a both and situation. The more that Gemini gets into the either or situation the 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 dual the dual side uh and and tends to reject the um unity side of things that's when you're going to see things like i can't make up my mind or nothing means anything so i'll do whatever i want or um uh now i'm not going to take anything seriously because you say it's this but you know whatever that's just a fart in the wind <laughs> you, know, you know what i mean like and gemini's can actually have really witty funny senses of humor about all of this stuff um, and this idea that Geminis aren't reliable, they don't commit to things. None of this is, is true. It's, you'll just find, for example, like, um, you know, I have some of my best friends are Geminis and I, I feel like you can find that a Gemini is able to have their own view or position while completely considering or being able to step into the view of someone else, or even the view that's completely opposite to their own. You know, for this reason, Mercury was the God of associated with rhetoric and debate and argumentation, but also of, of games, of play, of, of, of like racquetball and things that go back and forth, wrestling, you know, stuff like that. I mean, you think about biblically, wrestling has a high place in terms of how we're getting to know God. Jacob wrestled with an angel that, you know, sort of Jacob wrestled with God all night until God broke Jacob's hip. And um, the point of that was, I don't, I can't, I don't know you. There's something about you that's inaccessible to me. And I'm going to keep wrestling until I understand. So we're all wrestling with opposites and dualities with light and dark all the time. So the message today is cut our Gemini's some slack. Um, you know, there's a reason that these stereotypes exist. That's an important part of what a Gemini is working with um, on an archetypal level. And I have very rarely seen that a Gemini is what I see is Gemini's exploring light and dark, Gemini's exploring uh, paradox, Gemini's exploring um, the both andness of things, uh, or rather than the either or, or being challenged between two different ways of thinking, either or versus both and. Um, none of which means that a person is two faced, that they can't make decisions, that they're not serious, that they're not reliable. Um, so, 
you know, and, and be thankful if you have some Gemini energy around you, because one of the things that you'll get from Gemini, it, you can't take yourself too seriously. If you become heroically wedded to your amazing, like Marvel comic book ideal of what makes something good or triumphant or virtuous, you know, you have a Gemini creep into your life and remind you that like the darkness is imbued within the light that you're trying to hold to that the more we cling to some thing, you know, and, and this is good and everything else is bad and stuff like that. Um, you know, the more that the, that we, we don't see that the shadow is secretly a part of what we're doing. So Gemini, having a Gemini around can be the, the, the trickster, the laughter, the comic, the ability to subtly point out the shadow in things. Um, we need that, right? We need that so that we can grow and learn in the actual, you know, the, the full scope of, of creation, not just, um, not just the things that we glom onto, um, you know, and it's, it's a funny thing because alchemists said this too, you know, there was a dark sun, there's a sun and there's a dark sun and they're like a dyad. And, you know, this, if you think about the sun, cause remember, this is the sign that takes us up to the, the pole star and the, the longest day of the year, and then turns immediately comes back down. So many of the images that we follow, um, Mercury, remember rules, Gemini, the psychopomp, the guide of souls, like the diamond, this spirit guide that leads us toward adventures. What are the adventures rooted in? Ideal images. Ever want to read a great book, read The Soul's Code by James Hillman about the diamond. I've been thinking about the diamond a lot because my social media manager, Kat Nellian, also fantastic astrologer, has just written a book about the diamond that'll be coming out eventually. This idea that the, the soul is stirred up by longings and images of things that it wants and it seeks and it, it yearns for. In, 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 in many different philosophical traditions, we're led toward that light. It's, it's very luciferic in a sense. It's like little angels guiding us toward something that we desire or want to see or experience. And as soon as we touch it, you know, if it's, if it, if it's has any glimmer of like vanity ego or things that are just temporary and illusory, we realize, oh, it's empty, right? And then it starts to fall away. But if we do this enough, which is what life is really here for us to experience, to, to do these kinds of things, we experience enough, we start going like, well, what's actually real? And this starts leading us to the difference between, you know, the kind of dark images, the, the shadowy sort of distorted images that we follow versus the real thing, the, the, the A-Day, the eternal forms, the, the idea of the, the lasting virtues. We start getting a halo around us of light that's not a literal light, but it's some other kind of light. And that, uh, that light is the, the, those are the emanations of the highest virtues that we start to pursue, you know, rather than, um, you know, like, I'm really hoping that I can have a Lamborghini before I die or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. So at any rate, there's a lot to this sign and um, to the interplay of light and dark that's uh, in the sign. So I hope that this has reminded us of that today and kind of invigorated us with a new way of thinking about Gemini and understanding ourselves or people around us. Hope you've been enjoying this series. If you have any good stories to share about your experience as a Gemini or with Gemini's, um, you know, other thoughts you want to add to the conversation, please feel free to leave them in the comment section. Always love hearing from you guys. And uh, yeah, we'll have more tomorrow. Take it easy, everyone. Bye.